today on CityCast Philly. It's the Friday News Roundup, and I'm joined by Elliot Olaya, fellow at Aldea News, and freelance journalist Ben Seal. It's Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Trinae and here's what Philly's talking about. Hey, Elliot. Hey, Ben. Welcome to CityCast Philly. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Okay, so earlier this week on the show, we talked about traffic nightmares. I'm a driver in the city. Abby, our producer, she takes the bus. And Brittany, our Hey Philly newsletter editor, uh, walks. How do you all commute around the city? All of the above. Sometimes yeah. I bike. <laughs> I like to bike, but when it gets cold, it's a little bit more uh, driving depending where I'm going, taking the bus. Uh, like to walk all the way to Center City from South Philly too on on a nice day. Nice. That's a that's a few miles. <laughs> Elliot, how about for you? Uh, I'm entirely for public transportation. I don't. I don't think I, I can't drive. I never learned how to because I I always point to the the bus stop right outside my house and say, why would I need to drive when I can literally just take a two minute walk and get anywhere in the city where I want to be. Right, for sure. Now, are there any hot, we talked about like hot spots that just like really irritate us. Elliot, any bus routes that just drive you crazy? Um, I would have to say, so you see, the first thing is I, I primarily take the trolley, right? The 34 line. Okay. And So we're talking about like Southwest Philly? Yeah, yeah, about Southwest Philly roundabouts. But that line is, it's either entirely empty or it is packed shoulder to shoulder there is very little <laughs> in between there is somehow it's just there's either like one trolley every 20 minutes or two trolleys back to back one full one empty and it's there's there's no telling which way it goes right and ben what about for you any like problem hot spots every time i get caught on my bike in chinatown and and i'm trying to move south uh from from like the Cowell hill area Drives me crazy. It's it's a tough way to get around there uh, with all the cars and, and pedestrians and everything. But you got to make it work somehow. Right. All right. So obviously, one of the other big stories of this week was the Philadelphia Eagles winning the NFC championship. And so a lot of people are heading down to Phoenix. So a lot of fans will be flying in the next nine days or so. Elliot, let's start by talking about your story, which is about the Philadelphia Airport's latest partnership that will help travelers. What's happening with this relationship? Uh, so the Philadelphia International Airport has partnered with uh, Where We Fly. A, uh, a digital like mapping service that helps you find um, exactly where you want to go and uh, how long you want to, the flight to take and uh, essentially anywhere you can go from the Philadelphia Airlines, uh, like you said, to, to Arizona perhaps to go down for the Phillies game. The goal of this new technology is to cut down on a lot of like the, the hassle of like trying to schedule a flight normally and sort of just like make everything very streamlined and online entirely. Currently, it's a very new service. There are only, I think, about five other airports in the nation that use it right now, mm -hmm. uh, but that they're putting it into like Philadelphia International Airport, one of like the major like airports for one of the largest metropolitan areas uh, in the nation, shows that they're very confident uh, that this can, can cut down on the hassle for people. Having looked at it myself, there's a lot of like um, variation, I'd say, in how you can filter it out. Because normally you might say, I want to go to this location. And I need to figure out how to get there. But 
with the where we fly, they sort of offer options such as like, what do you want to do? Are you looking for a romantic destination? Are you looking for a getaway of sorts? And then filtered through that way. It's sort of like a, they're trying to get in on the process of what exactly do you want uh, before you even know where you want to be to have it. Interesting. So almost like a digital travel agent? Uh, yes. Yes. About that. Like similarly like that. They also want to sort of like personalize it to each person by uh, gauging like what previous flights have you gone on? Where have you gone in the past? And why did you go there? And then sort of build up a little, um, little like personal preferences network to be able to access and say, hey, we saw that you went to this place like one or two times for vacation the past few years. Would you like to go there again or mix it up like this? But um, generally, it's sort of meant to provide an insight. They want, they want insights into who you are and what they can do for you. Now, switching gears a bit, Ben, your story this week focused on how Philadelphia students are learning about climate change in and out of the classroom, right? Yeah, I wrote in Grid Magazine's February issue about um, the, the sort of climate change curriculum within the city and how it's developed over the past several years. The sort of short version, I guess, is that there have been a lot of efforts made to help students learn a little bit more about climate change and, and, and a little bit beyond just the facts, a little bit beyond the science, really trying to develop the analytical thinking and, and sort of systems thinking that will help them to really be problem solvers and, and help find solutions to climate change as they get older, as they move into careers after they leave the school district and, and so on. There's a, a bit of a, a caveat, I guess, to the really good work that's being done, which is that it's a curriculum that's only being rolled out to about 40 teachers this year. Um, it's, it's been done in partnership with Fairmount Waterworks, and it's a curriculum called Understanding the Urban Watershed. Um, it's really focused on the role that water plays a, across the spectrum in climate change and, and helping students understand that. But if it's only reaching a certain number of teachers, it's only going to be able to reach a certain number of students. And I think right. what I found in my reporting is that that's sort of the, the pitfall here is that there's, if you look in neighboring New Jersey, for example, um, climate change education is now required across all grade levels, across all classes. And that's simply not the case here in Philadelphia. And it, it means that Philadelphia students aren't developing quite the same level of climate education that they could be in, and perhaps that they should be for how big of a role this is going to play in their lives going forward. Interesting. Did they talk about or is there any talk about expanding the curriculum or what type of metrics are they setting to like get it to more students? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a goal to get it to as many students as possible. One of the issues there is it's not mandatory for teachers to to go through the development courses and, and to really learn the curriculum to take it back into their schools. And so teachers who are interested are getting involved. And I think year by year, more teachers will get involved, but it's going to be a long road to get it in front of every student in every classroom across such a big school district. I think there's a lot of effort also to, to do professional development for teachers. And so there's sort of separate climate change professional development courses that teachers can go through. And, and those also reach a good number of teachers. But again, there's, there's really this, uh, this tension, I guess, between 
the really um, good intentions of the the folks within the school district, the administrators who are trying to get climate change education into the hands of their students, and then the realities of day-to-day life within the school district where things move slowly, it's hard to get teachers to do more because they're already doing quite a lot. And so it's maybe not um, as pressing an issue as some other things that are happening within the schools. Did you have a chance to actually sit in one of these classes? I wasn't able to sit in on any classes. I did talk with uh, with some teachers and administrators who are really hands-on with what climate change education looks like and got a pretty good sense of, of what it can be within some of the classrooms. One of the sort of schools that I think was a is a great example for what the school district is doing, and, and maybe it's a bit different than some others, is at Lankanaw High School, which is a school that's now, uh, it's a magnet school that's entirely focused on the environmental sciences. And so everything they do there is really geared, not just toward climate change, but towards understanding the world around us and giving students hands-on opportunities. You know, one example there of what they've done is they're working with students to develop um, to grow muscles, you know, like the muscles that are used in uh, the Schuylkill River to help purify the water. And in the classroom, they are learning about how to grow them, how best to develop them for sort of climate change adaptation and things like that. I think it's maybe a, a small example of what the school district is trying to do more broadly. And, and if they want to move forward and give students the skills they need, those types of opportunities to get hands-on and understand the science, understand communicating the science are going to be really important going forward. Interesting. Now, Elliot, I want to get you back in the conversation. You recently did a story on the National Association for Community Asset Builders. Uh, They're also known as NALCAP. And they just announced their list of 2023 Peak RCF Fellowship members. What exactly does NALCAP do? So um, their goal is essentially to find the nonprofits that seek to um, economically develop Latino communities. And they find the leaders of non- these nonprofits that help these communities. And they offer them training. They say, uh, we see that you're doing this good work and we want to help improve the skills you need uh, to do your work. And they put them through a nine-month cor- nine training course to essentially, uh, through like virtual sessions and in-person sessions and a, a group project to be able to enhance these skills. So that way, when they return to their nonprofits, they have essentially they have better training and better uh, understanding of the work they do and how to, to implement uh, what needs to be done. So they've been doing it for over a decade now, I believe. And... I believe that it's uh, only going to keep growing with their alumni network who are able to rely on each other and support each other in their endeavors. And this is a national group of uh, Latino leaders. Yes, they operate in over, like I believe, over 24 states, Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. Ben, what other stories caught your eye this week? It's a good question. I I was reading this story from Chris and Graham in The Inquirer um, about the school district I guess we might as well stay with my my interest in the schools this week. Um, Getting a grant, a $4 million grant from the Department of Education to work on programming that will work on community building and restorative justice within schools um, as a way to improve the welfare of the schools and, and the climate within schools. You know, I think for a long time, 
especially within the Philadelphia School District, there's been this sort of reactive disciplinary system and a lot of students, um, when they act up or misbehave or, or, or aren't understood in some way, will get you know, detention or suspension or in a lot of cases expulsion. And this program is looking to try to push things in a different direction and, and really improve the way that schools work with students that are maybe having behavioral challenges or something like that to give them opportunities to build relationships with their classmates or their teachers and get put on a better path rather than simply punish them and and move on from it. I think schools for too long have had a bit of a, have reflected a little bit the way that the criminal justice system works. And maybe this is a bit of a recognition that we need to think differently about the way that we work with students and, and deal with kids who are going through a lot. And so hopefully it's a good step in the right direction and, and that funding will be able to expand the program to more schools and get more students back in the classroom and, and learning and growing instead of uh, being punished. Yeah, it it's really interesting, too, because solutions uh, journalism <laughs> is what we kind of talk about amongst, you know, journalists and reporters that we're always looking for a solution to solving some of these really difficult challenges um, that the schools are facing. Um any good news that we want to leave off with our listeners that you all wanted to mention? We've got only one more week left before the Super Bowl, so plenty of time. Yes. <laughs> to get your chili cooking, get your ribs in the oven, and get excited for the big game. Yes, for sure. All right, Elliot Alaya, fellow at Aldea News and freelance journalist Ben Seal, thanks so much for joining me on CityCast Philly. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Usually after the Friday News Roundup, I thank the team. But before I do that, I wanted to give y'all a heads up about a new series we've been working on. Each week this month, we're highlighting the contributions of Black Philadelphians who have made and are making our city great. So to kick off this series, here's what's happening in Philly. Tonight at the Kimmel Center, catch a special performance of African-American composer Margaret Bonds' Credo, a setting of a prose poem by W.E.B. Du Bois. Bonds was one of the first Black composers to get recognition in America. This show runs tonight through Sunday. And every Saturday this month, the Betsy Ross House, located at 239 Arch Street, will host Black History Tours. And also, you may want to check this out, too. There's a scavenger hunt to uncover Philly's hidden stories of Black history and resilience. This happens every Saturday and Sunday through February 27th at the Independence Visitor Center. And guess what? It's free. You can learn more about these events and other recommendations in our Hey Philly newsletter. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our producers are Abby Fritz and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Brittany Valentine. And our host is me, Trine Nuri. Music is by Philly's own Interminable with additional music from all the kimonos. If you enjoyed this week of episodes, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great and safe weekend. Bye.
Do you guys have any tips, any secrets that you do to bypass traffic? Walk. <laughs> <laughs> the cars can't get you there, usually. There you go.